It's go time. Welcome, everyone, to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. Today, we have a very special guest, the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor. Derek, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me back. The man with the details is now back, and that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, I'm uh, currently uh, in the midst of uh, vacation, laying around a lot and catching up on my uh, my games from this past season. So it's uh, it's a good time to kind of you know just put that time together to go. Oh, you know what I need to do is I saw this thing about a metric about yards over yards after catch. Versus expected. Oh, I wonder how if I could put that together. Little stuff pops up, you got the time to do it. I remember when we had our discussion about the details and how many hours you had to put into that and how many times you'd have to review a play, maybe four, five, six times, just to get everything right. Yeah, it's it's a process, right? Because we're, you're limited in, well, you, you know what's happening, and, but trying to figure out exactly why this broke this way on the play, right? Something like, quarterback pressure can just be a peak it could just be a look it could be oh hey oh the quarterback is looking this way and he thinks this guy's about to get beat even though he's not getting beat okay well what do i do with that is a lot of nebulous stuff in there you gotta you gotta deal with to try to figure out ultimately we're all trying to figure out who's the best right and so we all kind of put our little spins on it it seems like everyone has their own take on but once you really drill down to get down to the facts that's when everything seems to start to harmonize. Yeah, well, yeah, except for, well, those facts are my facts and those facts come in context that I have that you don't have that we did. It's uh, man, it's well, and it's, that's the beauty of football, right? Is, you know, you could sit there and you could talk with, you know, someone, a lifer, a lifer coach and you go, well, this person is working on the same biases that he or she has kind of built its foundation on. And that might be true but it also might not be true. There's a lot of uh, a lot of valued op- valid opinions from corners. Some are more educated and some are more, you know, uh instinctual, but there's a there's a lot of value there if you if you know where to to look for it and know know how to express it versus uh message boards can be great, but message boards can also be you smell like manure, right? So that's there's it's not always gold, but there is gold to be mined in there. Definitely. And if you think of any one game that is nuanced it's football you've got 24 players out there with 24 different assignments it can go any one of a myriad of a million ways well absolutely and uh one of the great examples this year for me and it it is every year uh brady Oliveira is a terrific example this year like brady's 5.9 yards per carry 2000 from scrimmage 1500 yards rushing how much of that is brady's credit how much of that is the offensive line how much of that is buck pierce how much of that is because Zach Kolaris is who he is? How much is it because the, the passing game is such an enormous threat? How much of that is because the defense got off the field so many times? And we we could all pick one that we think is more important than the other that guides our conversation. And then we get into screaming matches about, about who's what and whom. And it's it's just the beauty of, of the game that we all love. For the Blue Bomber specifically, the last two years, it, this must be hard to hear. The Blue Bombers have lost in the final quarter both years. In 2022, it was a blocked field goal in the final seconds. In 2023, it's a Philpott touchdown 
with less than 20 seconds to go. This has got to hurt on some level. Yeah. Was that the most improbable result of that game that you can imagine? Cody Fajardo was the MVP of the Grey Cup, throwing for three touchdowns against the Bombers' defense? What? The Bombers' defense gives up 21 points in the second half? What? That's more than they gave up all year. What? Like all year per game. Well, and and Fajardo. Uh, Fajardo's going to be an interesting story going forward because he's the MVP of the Grey Cup, but are you 100% comfortable with him as your starting quarterback? In that second half of that Grey Cup, the Alouettes seemed to find some energy. And there were some massive hits that they laid on Brady Oliveira, for instance, that really seemed to get them going Yeah, to the point where I thought that maybe they were in the ascendancy and the Blue Bombers were maybe starting to tire. One of the things that I kind of track every every single year is how teams win football games, right? And it's just, just the margin of victory. Do they win it by one score? Do they win it by more than one score? Uh, because I think there's this feeling that one score wins. It's 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 a talent. It's an it's an it's a just you know it's it takes skill to win one score games. And we can we can show that that's not really the case, and that it's really lucky. And you th- you take that back to the Grey Cup, and you go, that was a one score game, a four point game. And if any one of those bounces goes a different direction, totally different result, right? Kolaris uh, throws to the end zone. And if that ball is six inches forward, KB Ento doesn't tip it. Drew Walatarski catches it for a touchdown. Kolaris has Kenny Lawler wide open on a beautiful play design. If if he throws that, you know, six inches further, KB Ento can't make that incredible interception. Lawler touchdown. Bombers probably win that game. Yeah, it, the the final play. If Demario Houston is an inch forward, he tips that ball away from Tyson Philpot. What what if third and five? What if this goes different on third and five? What if Fajardo only gets nine yards on that 13-yard scramble? There's just so many along the way that you go, one of those bounces. And it it, it kind of comes down to there's a million points of skill that gets you there. But within that, there's all these little points of luck that you go, oh, if they get the bounces, it's it's going to go their way. And, and then Montreal got and earned those bounces. Improbable winners. Let's go back to 2017. Who would have thought that the Toronto Argonauts would defeat the Calgary Stampeders that night? Perfect example, right? Two 100-yard touchdowns swung that game. I, I will never, I'll never forget it because I was standing on the field in Ottawa for that game, and and I watched Devere Posey go over top of Tommy Campbell. Tommy Campbell was an absolute force at that boundary corner. To beat him for a hundred yard touchdown, I think it was just before the half time. The half. When is that ever going to happen? Come on, come on! And then Kamar Jordan just fighting for extra yards, like any player would do in my mind. Pops out, boop, balls the other way. Toronto's the Great Cup champion, and people focused on well, why is Bo forcing the ball in the end zone late? Like, I get it, but the other ones were just so much more important. Just, just it's the Great Cup is crazy these last the last decade. Right, nineteen. Uh, Hamilton, fifteen and three. Oh, they would roll the bombers. Nope. Here come the bombers. Right, twenty-one goes to form. Twenty-two does not go to form because, I mean, speak of luck. If McLeod Bethel Thompson doesn't get hurt, do they win that game? I kind of don't think they do because it looks so different when Chad Kelly was in for that drive. Eighteen goes goes pretty much to form. It's pretty 
pretty gross field and, and Calgary overpower 17 not to form uh 2016 would have been Ottawa's win Ottawa beating Calgary Calgary was a superpower and Ottawa uh if Ottawa was eight nine and one that year like the Grey Cup is so wacky I, I have to stop thinking that the favorite is almost guaranteed to win the Grey Cup because it's just been wacky this last run this provides another rationale for why we think the CFL is so great. And look at these Grey Cup games and what they produce. Games can be played on paper, yeah, but it's not until you step onto the field and actually play the game that we get the results. Yeah. Look at Hamilton in 2014, but for an illegal block, there you are scoring a touchdown and winning that game. You can go back to 1976 and Tony Gabriel's catch against Saskatchewan. You can go to 1972, Ian Center's game-winning field goal for Hamilton over Saskatchewan. Or 1971, yeah, Leon McQuay slips on the wet turf, fumbles the football, Calgary recovers and preserves the victory. So many examples of how it can come down to the last second. It's, yeah, and, and this season, just with the Bombers, was was so strange, like, 14 and four, but I don't know if there was ever the feel of last season. They were one win behind last season, but it, it just felt, for whatever reason, just the energy I took in from around the team felt not from the players themselves, but from around the team and fans. It just felt dramatically different. Like, ooh, this isn't the same crew. Well, they're first in offense and first in defense. Yeah, but it doesn't feel the same. And I was right there with them that, that whole time, right? Like, they're the number one defense by points allowed in the CFL, but if you just cast your mind's eye back, you go, yeah, I remember this this defensive back getting beat, and I remember this one getting beat, and I remember this play and that one. And it was always kind of in the air there that, you know, the, ooh, they have some problems in coverage, but it hasn't foiled them in too many games. But, man, in the Grey Cup, there's there's Cole Speaker going, going wide and free, and there he is again. And it was – and Philpot just gets in front of Demario Houston. You go – Oof, okay, maybe maybe we did see it all season long and it just didn't rear its ugly head until the Grey Cup. But it's one of those weird things. If you could be the best, you could be number one, but one, it's one game, and and number one doesn't necessarily mean incredible. Dalton Schoen and Adam Big Hill both went into that Grey Cup final limping. Your thoughts on their participation? I, having watched that game, I, I left it thinking that Schoen did more than anybody replacing him would have to to me uh greg mccray would have been the natural replacement but they were able to do so much with nick dembski like dembski looked fantastic right they were able to do so much with dembski that mccray could have provided but since dembski's doing it it lessens the need for mccray so shown made some big time catches in that one he very clearly wasn't a hundred percent they seem to have him working from a set position way more than his usual waggle Right. So uh, I, I think to me, that was a great call. I'm still I'm still flipping on the Adam Big Hill one, because apart from a couple missed tackles, Shane Goche was tremendous and laid some big sticks. But I look at that and go, I don't know how you would you would tell if Adam Big Hill, first ballot Hall of Famer, probably a Bombers Ring of Honor guy, if he comes to you and says, hey, I can play tonight. How do you how do you tell that guy you can't no you can't we're going with somebody else and you can you can talk about skills and limitations and how much the injury affected him and and we can all you know guess how the injury limited him and we can talk about analytics or whatever but just put yourself in 
maybe the most esteemed head coach going in the CFL right now, Mike O'Shea. How does he tell Adam Big Hill, no, you can't play? I, I, I don't have an answer for that. I just don't know how you could possibly tell a guy who's been that valuable to your team and then the BC Lions long before that, like, I, I, don't, I don't know what you do in that situation. So you have to let him go and have to believe in him and that he is ready to go. And there were spots where he went, okay, Adam doesn't look like he did before. He said, you know, at the locker room clean out, this, it was a four to six week injury. He, and he didn't even bring his equipment to Grey Cup. I'm not sure if everybody knew that Adam did not pack his equipment for that Monday trip to the Grey Cup. The trainer, Brad Foddy, Brought his equipment. Big Hill didn't think he was going to play. Somehow he was out there on Sunday. Could they do a better job managing an in-game? I don't, I, I, I don't know. I didn't do snap counts and situational snap counts for that one. But that's such a tough situation in which you kind of have to I'll, – I'll say it a lot this offseason. You have to dance with the one that brung you. And Adam Big Hill is the one that brung them. I agree with that sentiment. He's a phenom. And if he says he's good to go, how – do you say no to him? Yeah, that's you can't even. I mean, Goche looked tremendous. Goche's laying sticks on guys. He made the stop at the goal line. Uh, didn't even sack as well. It's been a couple of weeks, but he sack as well. Like Goche was fantastic. But yeah, you just that's one of those ones where I don't know that any one of us on the outside could imagine what would have to happen on the inside. Would they have been better off? Maybe, but I. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm an evaluator. Would they have been better off going with a Goche and having one of the other guys back up Goche at, at Mike and bring on Winston Rose? Because, I, I, yeah, I, I, don't, I just don't know. The Western final is over. The Blue Bombers are heading back to the locker room, and they are aware that their opponent in the Grey Cup is going to be the Montreal Alouettes. What was their mindset upon learning that? Well, they all the way through said this is a tough team and a hard-winning team and a team that's that's really streaking well. I mean, I don't I don't think there'd be any sense that they took Montreal lightly in this one. I absolutely took Montreal lightly. I was on broadcast saying they're going to win by 18 to 23 because frankly, they they essentially won that previous game 47 to 3. So, why why would this be any different? Right? And I'm not I'm not sure Montreal was significantly different, but I mean, I think I think they were they were ready for it. You just are you are you ready for Cody Fajardo to play out of his mind? For me, Fajardo's always been a real accurate passer. He doesn't have the strongest arm. His scrambling, obviously, we saw it in the Great Cup. We've seen it a bunch of times. Is excellent, but he's an accurate passer. Is he the best decision maker? Uh, I don't know, but. I haven't gone back to his game log, but that might be the best game he's ever played. You saw him when you broadcast the Rough Riders. Yeah. At that time, did you think that this guy was a guy on the rise? Yeah. Or did you think that maybe he just didn't have enough? I'm not sure how you felt. He was, he was, well, he was legitimately the West MOP in 2019. Like he was from his first start in Ottawa in week two, he was fantastic. People, I think people want a revisionist history of that, but Fajardo was fantastic. Like, oh, you're caught second and long, deep in your own end in a must-win game? Bam, Cody and Naaman Roosevelt were good. Cody scrambles. I, I remember giggling on the air because he converted like a second and 18 or a second and 23 with his legs. And you go, what, what, what do you mean? How do you do that? Fajardo is tremendous. 
the since then, um, 21 was down. 2019, I think, I think was built on. I hate to go back to the luck thing, but he was the top rated deep ball passer in my charting in 2019. That is a stat that fluctuates dramatically. I always like to say, here's how I can tell you it fluctuates dramatically. The Strevolution, Chris Strebler was the top rated deep ball passer in 2018. And just for ourselves, we'll just go, okay, do I, that stat must fluctuate because I can think of what I think of the guys as a passer. Um, it, it, I abandoned him in 21. It wasn't great in 22. I expect the 2023 numbers in Montreal in your in your non-Austin Mac targets weren't amazing. He had played what 16 games this year and threw two more touchdowns and interceptions. His numbers were not in any way indicative to me of three touchdowns in the Grey Cup against the number one defense. So I, as one of the biggest Fajardo fans, even I had started to kind of fall off the belief that he'd be able to pull this one off. And man, did he look good. I know there's a lot of hitch and tunnel screens and bubbles and whatever, but when he had to go down the field, like Cole Speaker on Jamal Parker was open enough that Fajardo, though he underthrows it, it's still complete, right? That pass to Tyson Philpot for the game-winning touchdown, point perfect. Right on, this far ahead of the fender, right where Philpot could get it, touchdown, Alouette's win. Like he was, he was really he and I mean he and Kolaris were both really in my mind really accurate and really good in that game. Zach Kolaris himself had a great day, setting a record for completion accuracy. Oh, completion percentage, yeah, completion percentage in that game. And you know, if not for, I still don't think that throw to Lawler was too bad in the back of the end zone. Maybe. It, Zach himself brought up maybe I should have gone underneath the Dembski because Dembski might have gotten the end zone. La la la. Lawler was open and he doesn't miss him by much, but it's those tiny little margins sometimes. The only thing that I can point to is that in Grey Cups, he hasn't played that well in the in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, Kalaris's playoff numbers. Doug Brown for, brought up to me in a broadcast last year. I think it was the Western Final last year, where he said, "Are his." Is Zach a playoff quarterback? Like, is he a November quarterback? And you see a dramatic drop-off when you break it down by month. October, Zach's numbers are through the roof. And in November, competition, I mean, part of it is competition gets tougher, weather gets worse, la la. He's he's yeah, more interceptions than touchdowns. You're right. It's it's not amazing. It it falls off, and I think he gets under eight yards in attempt, which Zach this season was over 10. It's one of those ones that we're going to discuss next season, like Zach Kolaris and the Bombers' offense in the playoffs. Zach Kolaris has done just about anything a quarterback could do for a franchise. Now, is it sacrilege to even think about or conjecture that he may not be fit enough to be the starting quarterback? Honest to goodness. So I was at a home improvement store in Steinbeck on Monday, and a gentleman recognized me. And he was broken up that uh, I can't believe that Drew Brown is going to get away. Isn't it time to make Drew Brown the starter? And as the, as the, as the governor of Kolaris Island, obviously I was critically offended, but I'm like, I get you don't want a young, a young quarterback who looks like he's got great potential to get away. Did Zach look worse this year than last year? For me, absolutely not. People will say he threw more interceptions and fewer touchdowns. Fine. His touchdown rate was off a bit. His interception rate was up a bit. 
But the interception thing, uh, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm excited to get to the end of my charting for the season because I think his interception luck was just worse this year. Last year, he had 56% of his interceptable passes actually being picked off, which is a very low number. And I feel like when I get to the end of the, of the Bombers games this season, I'll see that number be like 75 or 80% of just more passes that were thrown at defenders being intercepted. And he's just riding the other side of, of luck. Whereas it was all positive last year. This year, it, it felt like it was it was more negative than before. So, uh, but when you look at that career high in yardage, over 30, like over 30 touchdowns, over 10 yards in attempt is bonkers. Uh, that offense was the highest scoring one in the league. They had Kenny Lawler and they scored, I think it was four more points per game on offense. Like there's, to me, there, to, for me, there's not even a reason to think about replacing Zach Kolaris. And the only thing that would be driving that is, well, it'd be, it'd be sad to see a quarterback like Drew Brown, who they have developed, get away. That's just growing. I mean, that's just, that's just growing up. Your, your kids have to leave to go to high school. You know, you have to break up with your high school girlfriend because you're going to college, right? That, to me, that's just, just one of those things that's going to happen. And I hope Drew Brown, if he ends up somewhere competing for a starter job, I hope he friggin' crushes it because that guy's entertaining to watch. There's no way to me that I would contemplate letting Zach Kolaris go unless Patrick Mahomes is coming here on a 10-year contract. Talk to me about offensive coordinator Buck Pierce. Is he ready to be a head coach now? I wonder. By by interviewing for the Saskatchewan job, Buck's ready to Buck's ready to make that move upward in the in the food chain, whether he's ready to do the move geographically with that's a whole lot of family stuff that I don't I don't know about. So that's that's between him and his family. There are only nine head coaching jobs in the CFL. The window to me, you have to strike when the iron is hot when you're in a business like that. And right now, like the iron is hot. Like Buck is the leader of this offense, which is going great guns for years under his command. Yes, he's got Zach Kolaris, but the offense is producing with this elite talent. They're producing at an elite level. It's his time to be a head coach, you know, and this is the time you have to go. If the Bombers were all of a sudden, pretend the, pretend the bottom fell out next year. And I don't anyway think this will happen. But if the Bombers were four and fourteen next year, is Buck a, a hot head coaching candidate? Kind of, I don't know. Like I feel like there'll be someone else. Oh, look at this guy who took over Team X and led them to the top spot in the West Division. That Jordan McSimmick will come on the radar next year. BC's good, right? Scott Milanovic was in the running for the Saskatchewan head coaching job, but it didn't work out, and in part because he was not really enthused about moving to Regina. He has ties to Florida. But do you think now that he's in Hamilton, uh, what does that mean? I wonder how much is geography in eastern United States and, you know, eastern Canada versus Saskatchewan. I mean, I was once, uh, when I was the voice of the riders, I was asked in an interview, like, what's, uh, what don't you like about Regina? And I'm like, there's really not much. Like, I love living in Regina and la la la. The only thing... You know what? If I have to pick something to complain about, I said at the time, it's you need to take a flight to get a flight to get anywhere, right? You had to go Regina to Winnipeg to get somewhere or Regina to Calgary to get somewhere. And you go, okay, well, yeah, if you're not, if your family are maintaining a spot in the East Coast or West Coast, whichever one, Regina is going to be slightly more inconvenient than a, a Hamilton would, for example. Hamilton, 
drive up the highway for an hour and bam, you're, you're at an airport that gets you to any city in North America. Done. Some of these decisions that we look at and go, I wonder why that decision is made, honestly, probably have a lot to do with geography and making their, their home life better. Guys, we hear it all the time, right? The Bombers go into a bye week uh, in, after a game in Hamilton. Extra guys come on the flight because they can go out of Toronto to their houses on the East Coast. Geography and family life are, are real deals. So I wonder how much of that was was a factor in Milanovic not pursuing that job to you know full out because that's let's not kid ourselves as much as as much as uh, Regina stinks and the and the riders suck as we would say with Bomberland that's a pretty great job at its peak that's a pretty great job Corey Mace now has that job leaving a sixteen and two Toronto team strike when the iron's hot right yeah and and Corey Mace is that's a good dude. He's such a he's such a good dude. Like, um, yeah, the conversation I've had with Corey Mace, he's curious. He's he's young. He certainly relates to players. I can see how he would absolutely endear himself to other coaches just with the, with the little that I know about him. That's a good dude. I I texted some people in the Riders organization and went, yeah, that's a, I mean, you hired a really good guy. Everybody who coaches probably knows X's and O's at a certain level, and some guys maybe savants at it, but at a certain level. X's and O's are X's and O's, and, and guys know it. But how can you relate to players in 2023 and coming 2024? And if you find a guy that you think might be special in that regard, hold on to him like grim death. It, to me, whenever I evaluate a team, I look at, okay, how much talent do they have on the field? Uh, that's that's always my first thing. You can talk about great coaches and, love, and sure, but I, I'm like, how much talent do they have on the field? And if you can – get that talent and keep that talent in a salary cap sport. You could perhaps get them for a couple bucks less than they might get in a, in a true open market situation. That's going to pay dividends long-term. The blue bombers are getting old. They have at least 30 players, 29 years or older. Is this a critical mass issue that is going to come up sooner or later? Could they wait beyond the gray cup that they host to deal with this issue at that point? Okay, I've got an answer for this, but I'm curious. I'm curious. What would you do? Would you blow it up? Or would you gently blow it up? Would you ride it out? That is a tough question. Okay. I know I've got an aging offensive line, and I'm trusting that I've got somebody coming up to fill those holes. I'm good with Zach Kolaris as my quarterback. I'm hoping I can re-sign Brady Oliveira. Is, is Adam Big Hill getting to the end of his career? If he is, who do I trust? Because... He is the captain out there. He runs the ship on the field. And I want to know, before I do anything, can I trust somebody else to take on that role? My take has been, I'm going to ride her till she bucks you. Uh, just because one of the things that, to me, the Bombers have done so well and has kept them in the Grey Cup for four straight years is they are getting superstar-level players to take less money than they could get elsewhere. Guys are producing at a... At more, they're giving you more in production than what you're paying for them, which in a salary cap sport is what we're all, ch- what everybody's chasing. If Willie Jefferson gives you $270,000 worth of value for, let's make up a number, 200 grand. You're getting 70 grand in surplus value in this hypothetical from Willie Jefferson. And they're, they're getting that from so many other spots, right? Think how much Brady Oliveira produced over what he made. Dalton Schoen made the league minimum, like the rookies made a rookie salary. And produced at a, I don't know, 250, 280 
what would he what would he cost in the open market? An enormous sums of money. Kenny Lawler took two fifty to come to to Winnipeg when the top receiver is going at three hundred plus. He went at three hundred plus the previous year. You know these guys are out producing. So to me, if you let one of those guys go, are you going to be able to convince someone that your organization and your atmosphere are so tremendous that money is less of a factor? If Adam Big Hill's Adam Big Hill's the one I think people kind of point to with the injury, and he's thirty five, and you go, okay, well if you let Adam Big Hill go. Could you get a comparable Adam Big Hill replacement for Adam Big Hill's salary? I don't know that you can. Like, are you going to – is Jameer Thurman going to come? Is a playmaker like Javon Santos-Knox – and these are all different types of players, but Javon Santos-Knox is going to come? Are you going to ride the Micah Awe train again if Micah's a free agent? Are you going to the draft? Is, is Goche your guy who's going to fill that in? I don't know that you can replicate this. You kind of need to get guys into your system – teach them why they love coming to work for you and, and hope that that outweighs some of the money they might get on the open market. Dietrich Nichols, free agent. Dietrich probably gets paid if he wants to, right? At the, at the high level, at a high level for a Canadian or pardon me, an American defensive back. Does he come back for a little less? Does he follow what Kenny Lawler did? Zach probably could have extracted more money in his deal. So if you're me and you think, well, that's the foundation of why this team is great, to me, you just have to ride that out and go, you know what, 2026 might be an awful year. Let's do some building if we can along the way. But 2026, when Willie and Jackson are now in their mid-30s and Jamarcus is in his mid-30s and Biggie's 37 and uh, Zach turns 37 that year and Stanley Stanley Bryant would be, would Stanley be 40 that year? I mean, Stanley would be well up there, right? Patty Newfeld will be approaching his 14th 15th season in the in the CFL like guys are guys are up there so uh, Jake Thomas I mean would be nearing retirement age for sure guys that are closer to the end than the beginning to me uh, because you're extracting this value that I don't think you can get easily on the open market to me I would I would probably just ride it out and accept that you know what there's going to be an ugly year coming up and we're going to count on our scouts to help us with that year and we're going to build some stuff we have Canadian offensive linemen already on the roster that can fill in when these guys decide to hang it up. But I'm 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 on the rider till she bucks you just because I think they're they're so special what they've done right now. Is there any concern in their thinking that it's two years in a row that the team has gone into the fourth quarter and late in that quarter they have lost two consecutive Grey Cups? In this situation, because uh I think in this situation, because they're right on the cusp of a title, like I would if I was on the cusp of a title in any sport, I would sell out to win that title with with an eye on the future. I think of like the Lakers and go, was I would I have sold out everything I could have a year ago to get LeBron James more help? Well, LeBron, LeBron's 75. Like LeBron's about to set the all-time minutes record. I kind of want to look ahead to it and maybe keep a 2030 draft pick for the other side of his career. Titles are elusive at best. And to be in the championship game, they've been in the championship game four straight years. Just keep going back to the title game because we're all everybody's in this for rings. I, I don't know that they nobody brags about hey we're we're great cup runners up two years in a row. They they want rings, and if you've got a formula that's gotten you rings and has the potential to get you rings with a little enhancement, I to me to me I would I would absolutely just keep going back to that that well just because change doesn't necessarily mean better. 
Is there any sort of discussion about what is going wrong and why are we not finishing those big games? I wouldn't think so because they, I mean, they finished in overtime in 2021, right? Like, I don't think there's anything inherently broken in that. They, they pounded Hamilton into the dirt in 2019. Overtime touchdown in 2021 and critical overtime interception in 2021. I don't think this team has a, has a problem finishing games. I think if Mark Leggio's field goal isn't blocked by uh, Robbie Smith, right? If, if Leggio's field goal goes through, probably not having the conversation of can they, can they close? They, the other guys get paid too. So I, I think, I think being there, even, even if you're a favorite in two games, you were, they would have been an underdog, a snippet underdog in 19. And they were probably the favorite in the game in 21. So you lose twice when you're the favorite. I, there's a lot of luck in there. There's a lot of blocked field goals and luck in there, in my mind. It's a great problem to have that you're trying to figure out how to finish games in Grey Cups and win them, where Ottawa is trying to figure out how to win 10 games in a season. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Then, yeah, I think everybody would rather be the, the former than the latter in that one, right? How do we get out the schneid? Versus, ah, is there something, but what's, yeah, I guess the question I have is what's the systemic thing that's been wrong in the last two Grey Cups? And I don't know, um, Chad Kelly leads a, leads a drive late in the game against uh, the Bombers in 22, and Cody Fajardo goes nuts in the second half in 2022, when the first half, 17-7 to and goal line stands, so is there something systemic in the second half that can we identify? Or is it just, hey, the the defense got got and the offense didn't produce enough in either of those games? It's a great question. People tend to rationalize. They want to understand. Winnipeg loses the Grey Cup in the final few minutes. Maybe they're not as good. Maybe they're not a dynasty. But for five minutes in a couple of games, they could have won four straight. Yeah. Like just watching, like Zach Kolaris lead the touchdown, go ahead touchdown drive with what was it five five and a half to go in that Grey Cup game, and they get a stop, and then they they, they don't do much on offense the next time, and then Montreal drives the field for the win. You know, they kind of did they did a lot of what it requires to win the title, and it just happens it wasn't everything. But we we look for patterns, right? We look for we look for patterns in anything, and well, this is a failure, or that's a failure, or. I can't believe Richie would send an eight-man blitz on the final play of the game. Like, well, when did he send? That's it's partly because we're not contemplating every time he sent an eight-man blitz this season and the results of those. It's this one: a guy got beat to the inside, and Phil Pot caught the ball and touchdown. And there wasn't enough time left. Mike O'Shea talked about it on the coaches' show. Like, if there was, uh, if there was a minute less, or there was forty seconds more, that might be a whole different game, right? Bombers with the ball with. A minute to go off the off a kickoff. Yeah, they might have been able to make the the comeback after that Philpot touchdown. But it's just, yeah, I I just I feel like there's things. Okay, well we know we know we're not as strong here and here and here. Can we fix that? And if not, how can we do that? How can we can we fix that with personnel? And if not, how can we make sure in season it doesn't affect us as much? If Montreal on that third down gamble completes the pass and it goes for a score with Cole Speaker, then the Blue Bombers have time left in the game. How does that change everything? The Bombers have over 40 seconds with which to play. That's a very good point, right? If that ball's, there's another one. If that ball's thrown a yard ahead and actually leads Speaker and he doesn't have to come back to get it into Jamal Parker, touchdown, 
you're right. Yeah, here's some more time. Uh, do you like Zach's chances with 40 seconds to go? And Sergio, uh, it would have been a four-point game. The convert, yeah, Zach's chances with 40 seconds to go. Okay, yeah, it's not great. It's a it's a 20 percent probability, whatever number you want to pull out. But there's no reason to think he couldn't do that. Schoen, Lawler, Bailey, like Bailey would steamroll some dude. Oliveira on a little little uh, drag run across the middle races for 40 yards. And Dakota Prukop jams it in with zeros on the clock, right? It's little, little tiny things. So, yeah, there might be patterns. There might be things that were consistent from 22 to 23. Anything went wrong, I think, in 22. Like when you talk to Mike O'Shea, when you hear him on the coach's show, he goes back and looks at everything. How could we have gotten a few more seconds there? Did we use the time effectively? Did we kill off all the clock we could have when we had the lead? Did we save all the clock we didn't have when we were trailing? How could we have done this? What about this? What do we do with eight seconds left in the game? Could we have gotten more plays? Whatever it is, I, I feel like they're, they'll examine it. And yeah, just titles are tough to win. I just want to be in that game because if you're, as Montreal showed us, if you're in that game, you got a chance. What do you think their mood is? I know they were so disappointed by what happened. Going into 2024, do they use that as some sort of motivation? What will be their mantra? Yeah, I'm, I'm going it, to, it's the one, I don't love it when they say it to us doing interviews, but it's, we're going to go one and oh this week. We're going to go one and oh this week. They're so focused on the, it's just this week. that if you try to bring up a future week to them, they, they kind of don't care. Well, I'm not thinking about BC in week 18 and how that game will decide first place because we have Hamilton here in week 15 or whatever, whatever week that was, or we got a, a reduced Toronto squad here in week 17, right? They're just, they just keep talking about going one and oh this week. So when next season rolls around, like in training camp, we'll, we'll hear, man, it's sucked not winning the gray cup and thinking about that all off season. But that was last year. This year, we just want to go one and oh, 18 times. They're going to want to go one and oh, you're going to hear it as, as fans listening and they're going to, they're going to keep saying it. If they bring back last year's roster, there's no reason to think they're not the favorite in the West again. For everything that Winnipeg has to wrangle with in free agency, BC has to wrangle with in free agency and two critical injuries from that Western final that are going to keep guys out in Keon Hatcher and TJ Lee. I've I've just looked at CFL uh, Achilles injuries. That's 330 days. So we're now talking very late season before those guys get back. And those are two massive parts of that team so bc's uh bc's got to figure it out if they want a, a 12 win season again vernon adams jr played the west final on a sprained mcl yeah yeah can vernon replicate vernon was tremendous this season can he replicate that what uh what under the radar and what coach is going to get taken for to, to go somewhere else right they're going to have to deal with this well you guys are 12 wins for consecutive years west final for consecutive years we want, we're one of the other seven teams. We want what you got. Okay, well, take Toronto. They're one of the other six, six teams. We want what you got. How much are they going to get poached? And how will they respond to that next season? Will be, will be very interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, the West free agency will tell us and health will tell us, will Saskatchewan be better? Uh, having Trevor Harris would be great. What's Edmonton going to do with the season if Trey Ford starts as a starter? And then Calgary, can Calgary really be a six-win football team? Really? Are they real? <laughs> Who knows? They lost Mark Mueller to the Riders. So as uh, he was their play caller to start the season, he's now the OC in, in the Saskatchewan. If they come back, 
with the with the roster that they you know finish the season with, part there's going to be a couple spots to fill. The Bombers are probably the favorite in the West to start the season. Just an aside, it's still amazing to me that no team that has won 16 games in a regular season has won a Grey Cup. <laughs> is that the best? No team in the with the big was it the Big Five American sport like the Big Four North American sports plus the CFL. No team that has the single season winning record won the title that year. It's just unbelievable. And it also tells you how much of a grind it is to try to get to that record and maintain that level of play. And you look to the East final and how it looked almost as though the Argonauts were flat. Now we learned later that Chad Kelly had played with a concussion throughout most of the game and that impacted his play massively. But notwithstanding, the Argos still looked flat. They looked awful. Nine turnovers? Nine? A couple of them are third down stop stuff happens. Four interceptions? Man. And they're losing their defensive coordinator. So what does Toronto look like next year? I think Toronto's probably, at least offensively to me, is in a pretty good position because when I looked at their receiving core, I didn't see an overwhelming amount of talent like you, like I would with a Winnipeg or a BC where I go, okay, a lesser quarterback could survive in that. They were, I mean, Devaris Daniels, good receiver. DeMonte Coxey did some good stuff. Is is anyone? How many of those guys are top ten or top fifteen in the CFL? Versus, you know, a Cal, uh, pardon me, a BC and Edmonton Calgary probably has two top ten receivers in the CFL. One of them got hurt and missed the whole season virtually. Much uh, Toronto to me is in a good spot offensively to kind of replicate what they did this year. Defensively will be the question because one, Corey Mace is gone, and two what free agents want to play with Corey Mace. And if that's uh, Jamal Peters, then I'm just going to throw out names of guys who played for Toronto. I don't know what their particular affiliation is with Mace or Toronto. But Jamal Peters or Winton McManus, people are talking about Sean Oakman. Oakman's rotational in that defensive tackle spot. If some of those guys leave, well, what's Toronto going to do with that? Would they be the inverse of a uh, Montreal this season? Great on defense. Third on defense, seventh or eighth on offense as far as points scored. Just Toronto, if Toronto was second in points scored, but seventh on defense because they fell off a cliff without Mace, what does that look like? What's Ham- Hamilton big changes? Ottawa can't be this bad three years in a row. They just can't. They got They've got. They must have stuff in the works between Sean Burke and uh, Manitoba's finest Bob Dice because they can't be. They can't be this bad three years in a row. You point to the Argonauts and you speak to the changes they're going to inevitably face. And this was a team that made three East Finals and won a Grey Cup. Winnipeg, on the other hand, has made four Grey Cups and somehow maintained their level of excellence throughout a salary cap era. I'd said, uh, I'm trying to think of when it was. Was it before 21? But like if I I just said, if I was was on the radio talking about free agency, I'm like, I would make Jackson Jeffcoat the highest paid player on the defensive side of the ball, just to get him away from Winnipeg. Jeff Coat creates pressure like few other guys in the league. And just to be able to get him, you would have to pay a lot of money to get a guy away from, to think about leaving Winnipeg. Any, any reason to think Willie Jefferson is not still a superstar in the league? First team all-star, team's most outstanding defensive player. Jackson Jeffcoat had his healthiest season. 21, the COVID season was probably healthy, but most regular season games played in, I think, five seasons. That's pretty good. Biggie, calf injury will be gone by camp, you would expect. Kyrie Wilson is healthy after missing the first 
five games, I believe it was, with his Achilles. Tell me he didn't look good. Dietrich Nichols is Dietrich Nichols. Brandon Alexander, I think, was maybe affected by that knee at some points this season. But B.A.'s back for a year. So they uh, Evan Holm busted onto the scene this year. He's under contract for the coming season. A lot of guys in that back six are under contract. What are they just what are they gonna do with with some of these spots? Offensive line, if they were to lose a Canadian offensive lineman, well, Liam Dobson and Tui Ellie appeared in every game in which they were eligible. Right? Those guys got experience. It was the sixth man, it was the seventh offensive lineman, it was only single or double tight end sets, but those guys got experience. The receiving core, come on. If they don't lose Dalton Schoen, I'll be stunned that they've done some stroke of magic. But if you go into the season with Nick Dembski and Kenny Lawler and if Rasheed Bailey comes back and Drew Wolitarski and you plop in another American, you're easily in the top half of the league as far as receiving cores go. And we'll see what else results. If Brady's back, Brady was amazing. Had an amazing season this year. That offense, that run game and the offense was fantastic. They got that in their their bag as well for next year. And and like I said, Zach to me is, is the best quarterback in the CFL. So yeah, they're 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 set in a lot of great spots. Where are you in this transition period that we're in? Are you looking back at what happened during the regular season and how it finished? Are you looking forward to 2024, given that the Blue Bombers likely will be a very strong team again? I'm still looking back. Just just kind of catching up and, and looking at, well, what about this? Or what about this? Or was this the thing I thought it was? Because over the course of, like, Doug Brown and I call 21 games this year. Two preseason, 18 in the regular season, and then one in the playoffs. And you, by the end, you, you've you got your narratives from the season of, okay, well, this is a thing we saw all year long. This was a thing that popped up at midseason. And just to kind of go back and go, oh, was that actually what it was? Was that actually... The truth of it. So when you look, when we start the season in 24, I'll have an accurate picture of what 2023 was. Was Brady amazing in every game or were there some down ones? Okay, well, let's let's examine that. Was Zach, was Zach's season actually better than last year or was it worse than, than, than 2022? Well, let's look at that and just, just kind of figure out what the truth was about 2023 because 21 games, they all kind of blend together, right? Like, Oh, I remember this great thing that happened against Ottawa. Oh, that was against Toronto. Right. Because it just 160 plays in 21 games. You're like, oh, we remember when we were on the Tyrell Pigram bandwagon, Piggy T? And I was I was cajoling Wade Miller to make a sandwich for Piggy T with the help of the Manitoba pork producers. No, that didn't go, that didn't go anywhere because he got stopped on second on first and goal and second and goal. And that was about the end of that, or second and third and goal. For, so for me, it's kind of looking back and, and seeing what was the truth of 2023 and then using that to kind of inform what we do in 2024. Derek, thank you so much for being on the show. This was fantastic to have this chance to talk to you again. Where can people find you on the socials? Uh, I am on Twitter, and I'll just keep calling it Twitter forever because they, uh, calling it X sounds idiotic. Uh, at DT on OB, uh, I'm not on Instagram as much as my wife wants me to be, but that's DT on CGOB, and then I'll pop up uh, throughout the uh, off season uh, round free agent time. I'll do some uh, do some writing on uh, on uh, the Winnipeg Global uh, CGOB news site in advance. Man, I love free agency. Moving this guy to here and moving that guy to there, and hypothesizing who would look great where, and 
can the Bombers get Money Hunter in a corner for next season and stuff like that? Uh, DT on OB on Twitter is the, the main place to go. Have a very happy holiday season. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.